Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Do you have a testimony in your life like the man born blind in John chapter 9? Have you declared that, quote, All I know is that once I was blind, but now I can see. Do you boldly declare to anyone who asks that you have received your spiritual sight and the forgiveness of your sins in and through Jesus Christ our Lord? Sometimes, when we stand up boldly for Jesus, we will receive persecution or rejection, but it's in these times that we will experience the love and encouragement of Jesus most. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 9 and look at the incredible conclusion to this account of Jesus healing the man born blind. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Friday morning here in Texas and uh, it's a good time to be loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus. We say it over and over and over. And I've been told over and over and over that, you know, there's just nothing more beneficial in our lives than growing to know Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. Um, there is nothing that will benefit us in any way, any way. There's, there's nothing that will truly benefit us more, obviously, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, or relationally. The closer and the more intimate our relationship with Jesus Christ, the more obedient we are to Jesus Christ, the more just um, community and unity in love we have with Jesus and for Jesus, the more, excuse me, we know his love for us, the more effective we'll be in every aspect of our lives. Right, Melanie? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. Um, the more mature we are in Jesus Christ, the, the more effective we'll be in all of those areas, the more joy we'll have in, in all of those areas. Um, and, and our lives will just take on an, an increasing meaningfulness that we didn't, we didn't know possible. And I mean a, a genuine, authentic meaning. You know, for the vast majority of us, even as Christians, you know, the meaning of our lives is still not Christ. We, we like to say God first, then family, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's it's not it isn't true, meaning if 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 each of us just took an inventory of how we spend our time, let's say you're awake sixteen hours a day and you sleep eight hours, or if you're awake seventeen hours a day and you sleep seven hours, and you took an inventory of how you spent that time, how you spent your thought life, right, how you spent your time and what you thought about, um, the things you spoke about. And the things you spent doing, um, that would that would reflect where our priorities are, and really for the vast majority of us in the church, our lives are spent. You know, when I take an inventory of my life, you know, my days are often I confess filled with thinking about me, my life, my wife, my kids, um, you know, my ministry, my teaching my lunch, my fun, my shower, certainly my problems. But you see that? It's all about me. 
and you know the goal of the Christian life is to is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as we certainly do love ourselves. We may not like ourselves, but every one of us loves ourselves. We have a self-love, and it's it's the essence. It comes from our sinful nature. Um, uh, we are selfish people. All of us truly do like our own way. We like our preferences. We all do, um, whatever they are. And, and growing to die to that, die to ourself, and live unto Christ is the meaning of life. But if I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, right? I'm going to have to put my mind on him, put my mind on Jesus. And in order to put my mind on Jesus, I have to take it off me, right, Peyton? Um, in order for me to, to love my neighbor as I love myself, which are Jesus's words, Jesus said, we do love ourselves. You know what you love most by what you think about most. What is in your thoughts most? And obviously, every one of us thinks about our lives, our work, our need, our girlfriend, my wife, my kids, the things that envelop our minds are almost entirely involving, you know, our lives and our families. Now, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, right, would mean to start, you know, thinking about your neighbor. Your neighbor is whoever's near to you right now, right? Thinking about your neighbor and thinking about his wife, thinking about, you know, um, his, you know, um, her husband and, and, and their family, thinking about their kids, thinking about their finances, you know, thinking about their problems, their difficulties, putting your mind on them and what's going on in their life. But in order for us to do that, we have to take it off ourselves, and which is the place where it just naturally sits all day. The more we grow to know Jesus, the more our devotion to Jesus grows, the better we will we will do all of these things. And so that's why we say it every teaching, right? Give your life to Jesus today that begins with receiving him as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. But then it goes on to be a lifetime of being a disciple of Jesus, being a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ, growing in your devotion to Jesus. And it's not an arduous thing. The more you do it, the more you'll find you're, it's it's kind of it's you start to 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 experience Christ in a more deep and intimate way, and you start to experience little by little more joy. And it, it's not easy. It is a a two step forward, one step back process, right, Dave? Meaning, being a disciple of Jesus Christ takes all of us, right? It it does take tremendous effort, um, but the payoff is is infinitely greater than any effort we put in. And again, it's important to remember all the effort we put in doesn't save us. There's nothing we do that, that will take away our sin. There's nothing we do that will help us get to heaven. Uh, to get to heaven, we have to humble ourselves before Jesus Christ 
agree with the scriptures, the word of God, that we, we are a sinful person and that in our sin, we're hopeless, we're helpless, we're desperate. There's nothing we can do and only hell awaits. But in that place, we believe the word of God. John 1, 12, to, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, right, Tommy? He gave the right to become children of God. In that place of understanding our, our hopelessness, we come before Jesus and we proclaim, Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you, 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 you came and became a human man for me and lived a perfect life for me and died a perfect death for me, Lord Jesus. And I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I call on you now. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and trust and hope and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. You know, the scripture says in Romans 10, 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's important we understand it's not words that save us. You just don't say some words or puppet some words. Just repeat the words I said. That's not how salvation comes. We're saved by Christ and what he's done. Now, obviously, we use words to communicate our, our heart to him, communicate our belief in him, communicate our trust in him, and communicate our desperate need of him. So have you, out of that place of humility in knowing your desperate need of Jesus, received him? as your Lord and Savior? Have you called out to him in desperation, asking him and humbly asking him to be the Lord of your life and to, and to come into your heart and to save you from your sin? If you haven't, do it now. Again, rewind the tape. It's important that we understand it's, it's the acknowledgement in the belief in the word of God that first we are sinful and there's nothing we can do in that state except throw ourselves at the mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ and put our full faith and trust and confidence in him alone to save us from our sin and to bring us to heaven when we die. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for your goodness. But above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and God and King. Lord Jesus, we worship you today and we thank you. We thank you for becoming a human man for us and dying a, a torturous death for us and living a perfect life for us. We thank you that you are indeed alive and risen. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. The Holy Scriptures give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, today we're going to finish up John chapter 9. Um, we're going to do verses 35 to 41. Very powerful ending to one of the most incredible chapters in the Bible. Of course, they're all incredible chapters, right? There are 66 books in the Bible. Um, there are 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, Scott. And I mean, they're all the word of God and all the chapters are good. But man, we have just, we, my wife has really enjoyed, my beautiful wife, May, 
has just loved this uh has just loved this chapter and it's just incredible this Jesus heals this blind man and uh and he is bold he stands up to the religious establishment he will not back down he will not deny Jesus in order to appease them and again there's just been so many lessons in this and that's the call of God on our lives like this blind man, right? We talked about verse 25 being maybe the most important verse in the Bible, right? Um, they asked the man, what do you say about him? They keep asking him again and again. And in verse 25, the blind man replies, they keep calling Jesus a sinner. And he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that needs to be the testimony of all of our hearts, that at one point you were spiritually blind. You had no concept of God. You had some, you know, ethereal, you know, belief in God in your mind, but, but you really had no relationship with God, no understanding of God. You were in darkness, spiritually dead. And when you gave your life to Jesus Christ and he came to live inside of you, and his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came and gave you eternal life when he came inside and lived inside of you. And the, the Holy Spirit became one with you. And when the Holy Spirit became one with your dead spirit, life came into you. Eternal life came into you. Keep in mind, we've said it before, eternal life is not only a, a quantity of life, it's a, it's a quality of life. Some of my my, my church fathers that I had when I first got saved around 24 years ago taught me that, right, Tommy? And, uh, you know, and, and, and now the lights are on. And all of a sudden, you start having a desire for, for God in Jesus Christ. You have a desire to know Jesus. You want to you wanna study the Word of God and read the Word of God. And you want to begin to live for Christ. And this needs to be our testimony. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So the man keeps testifying. He won't back down. He won't deny Christ. They actually tell the man that, you know, they say the most ridiculous thing ever stated. We said this in Bible study in human history. They say, we know this man is a sinner. They could have never gotten a statement more wrong. Every other human being who ever existed is and was a sinner. Every other human being that ever existed in human history is and was a sinner, except Jesus. Except they say to him, um, verse 24, give glory to God. They said, we know this man is a sinner. In practical fact, this is the only man in the history of the world that was not a sinner. I mean, we've all been wrong, but you can't, this is the most wrong of wrong of, you can't get more wrong than that. Meaning you could have literally picked any other individual in the history of the world from the beginning of time. And you would have been right when you said, we know this man is a sinner or this woman is a sinner. But the very person you said, you know, it's interesting. They know this man is a sinner is in practical fact the only human being that was not a sinner, ever. Jesus never sinned, right, Jason? 
my big brother Jason Ross wrote a book, the the sinless man. Um, did a really really solid job in uh, just you know it's it's kind of a, a courtroom drama where he proves by the scriptures and also by you know um, you know other historical evidence that Jesus Christ is the only one who we can in no way say in any way that that he ever sinned. And so that's a good work. I'd recommend it. All right. Um, verse 35. So they kicked the man out. And again, when you got kicked out of the synagogue, you couldn't come back. So it wasn't like here, if you get kicked out of church, there's a church on every corner. Um, but the, the key is that the man wasn't afraid to be kicked out of church, right? And we talked about how we ought, oftentimes we can be more devoted to church than we are to Jesus, okay? Um, and, and it's a clear imbalance, right? Sometimes we go to a, a, a great Bible church or we just go to a, a church and there's a great pastor and we've known the pastor for 40 years and he's a, he's a wonderful man, right? He's a good, godly man. And, and we just, you know, we just start getting devoted and we, 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 you know, we just, we brag more about our church than we do about Jesus. It's good. It's wonderful to be, to, 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 to be part of a good Bible-based church, but we have to remember it's about Jesus, right? It's not about kingdom discipleship. It's not about, it's not about a church building, right? At the end of the day, everything we do is about the son of God, Jesus Christ, and everything else is an end to that. The word of God leads us to the son of God. The church of God, the local church, leads us to the Son of God. All of these things are to drive us to know Jesus better, to love him more, to obey him more, to serve him more. So the man, remember, the man has never seen Jesus. Um, Jesus healed him. He put mud on his eyes. He told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man went and washed. He, he could see now. We talked about how in biblical history, never has this occurred. Never has an individual born blind been healed at any time. This is the first time in John 9. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Verse 36, who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked what? Are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Wow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's the last verse of the chapter, John 41. All right. The man gets kicked out of the synagogue. He can't go back. Um, again, he... He's being persecuted because he's standing up for Jesus and he's an example to us all that when Jesus Christ has done a, a real work in your life, it ought to be our responsibility, right? Now, if you've never experienced Jesus and you've never experienced the work he's done in your life, again, back up the tape and go 
and again and, and give your life to Jesus. And if you have done that, then just begin to pray. Earnestly start to pray, Lord Jesus, I, I do I do want to have a, a, a meaningful relationship with you. I want to have encounters with you, Jesus. I want to experience you and your word in the scriptures, Lord. Um, Lord, I, I want to experience what it means to have my sight and live my life with you and desire you and stand up for you as this, as this man did. This man received his physical sight, right? And, and we've received our, our spiritual sight. And obviously the whole chapter is a picture of that. But what's interesting is when this man stands up for Jesus, he's persecuted by the religious establishment. And sometimes devout Christians can be persecuted by the church itself. Okay, now listen. If if we're just uh, if if we're if we're if we're a problem in the church, if we're doing more harm than good, if we really don't have a heart for Christ, then we're just then you know what? Then then it's the job of the church to to put us in order, right? But oftentimes there there are individuals who are walking with Christ and devoted to Christ, and they could be a little too devoted, a little more zealous than the church is wanting. And more often than not, the church fails with these type of people. Um, again, it's our job as leaders in the church to, to, to exhort people in Christ. And when people are more zealous than we are and more excited than we are, we don't want to temper that, right? Obviously, we, we need to, you know, when I was a young Christian, and I'm, I'm still a young Christian in some ways, but, you know, I was, I was so zealous that, you know, I needed a little polish, but the, the men of God in my life did, did, not, did not squash that zeal by the grace of God, um, but did consistently try to, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, work off the, the rough edges. And there's, there's still some there. And we, we got to keep a little edge. Right. Right. Uh, Father Rick. But, uh, you, you know, you don't want to be all edge. Right. And so it's a it's a process. But. The man stands up, even at the, even as, as being kicked out of the synagogue. His parents wouldn't do it, but Jesus didn't didn't heal his parents of blindness. Jesus Jesus miraculously healed this man, and now no matter what they say, you know he's devoting himself to Christ, and he will not stop testifying about what Jesus has done, and he won't deny Christ. And again, that's certainly a picture for us on how we need to stand up for Jesus. But what's interesting, again, the man has never seen what Jesus looks like. And it's interesting that once he gets kicked out of the religious establishment, he doesn't find Jesus. Jesus finds him. And may that, that can be one of the biggest impediments to knowing Jesus can be the religious establishment, can be the church itself sometimes. And that's a place we have failed, Father. And I'm sorry, Father. Forgive us when we as a church, and Father, I mean the church as a whole, all the denominations, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been a bigger problem in leading people to Christ. And Jesus has to go around us and reveal himself to people, oftentimes not because of us, Father, but but in spite of us. And Father, I ask you to forgive us. I ask you to cleanse us, Lord. For, forgive us, whatever we are, Lord, whether we're Catholics or, or Baptists or 
Presbyterians, Lord, whether we're Reformed, um, you know, Lord, whether we're Methodist, you know, whether we're Lutheran, um, whether we're Anglican, um, whether we're Pentecostal, Lord, whatever we are, Lord. Lord, we know the denomination is not of you. We know there won't be any denominations in heaven, but I ask you to forgive us and cleanse us, Lord, where we have often been a, a bigger impediment to helping people come to know Jesus and know Jesus than we are a help. Forgive us, Lord. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Jesus hears what's happening in your life. Jesus sees what happens in your life. He is God. He knows everything. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So again, when he gets away from the religious leaders, Jesus finds him. And as I said, that's regrettably often the case in the church today. Um, it ought not to be, and it's certainly not everywhere. Um, and again, it's our job as ministers to facilitate relationship with Christ, which is the opposite of what these, these religious leaders were doing. But Jesus knows what's happening. And Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus could have said a lot of things there. Jesus found him. And Jesus will find you today if you want to know him. But here's the first question he's going to ask you. Do you believe in the son of man? Do you believe that God, God the Son, Jesus Christ, became a human man for you and entered a world, a world he created, and that he lived a perfect life for you and died a perfect, torturous death for you, and that he is indeed alive and risen today. He's been raised from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the Son of Man? John 1.12 to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the only solution to your sin problem? Do you believe Jesus is the only way for you to have your sins forgiven and to go to heaven when you die? Jesus said in John 14, 6, out of his own mouth, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Out of his own words, do you believe in the Son of Man? Are you trusting and relying in Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Incredibly, this man, because he's never seen him. Remember, Jesus opened his eyes, but he told him to go to the pool of Siloam. And Jesus wasn't with him when he received his sight. After he obeyed Jesus and washed in the pool of Siloam, he received his sight. Again, his sight was given through Jesus Christ. Nowhere in the history of the Bible, nowhere in the scriptures was sight given to a blind man or woman. Perhaps because you can only receive your sight through Jesus Christ. And the Bible is clear that you will not or cannot receive your sight in any way but Jesus today as well. We need Jesus to touch our eyes in the same way he did this man, that we might receive spiritual sight and eternal life. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. The man wants to believe in Jesus, but he don't know who he is because he hasn't seen him. Verse 37, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, 
He is the one speaking to you. Have you seen him, Matthew? Have you seen him, Corinne? Anthony, have you seen him? You have now seen him. Have you seen him, Leah? Have you seen Jesus? In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And our response needs to be the same as this man. Then the man said, verse 38, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You know, one of the greatest, you know, one of the greatest outcomes of our faith in Jesus Christ, one of the most important fruit, if not the most important fruit of our conversion, of our salvation in Jesus Christ is that we, we worship him. We worship you, Jesus. That ought to be the daily proclamation and attitude of our hearts. We ought to worship him. And for this, this would have mean that the man bowed down to the ground and put his face to the ground and worshiped him. And certainly that's worship. Now, worship, right? As I've been taught over the years, right, is, a, is, 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 is infinitely more than singing in church and, and just bowing down to Jesus. Worship is in everything we do, right? Worship is in everything we do is an act of worship or not. Do you worship Jesus Christ? Do you have a heart to worship him? It's interesting when in, uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 10, when, you know, when Peter is, is, is sent by the, the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, people go to worship him and Peter says, get up. I'm only a man myself. Angels tell people to get up. Jesus don't tell the man to get up. Why not? Because that's where the man belongs. This is, again, they're all throughout the, the Gospels. But this is an obvious evidence that Jesus Christ is God. Is the man worships Jesus and he receives his worship. Jesus don't tell him, oh, no, no, get up. Peter falls at his feet in Luke 5. and says, be away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Jesus don't tell him to get up. Jesus didn't tell anyone to get up when they worshiped him because he ought to be worshiped because he's God. The only, the only beings that you can worship is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There is no worship. We need to repent of every other worship we have, right? We use silly words when we say, oh, he worships you and this and that. And that just means, you know, an individual just admires another individual so much, which we shouldn't, by the way. There really ought to be no individual we admire that much save Jesus. The only American idol is Jesus Christ. He's the only one for you to idolize. Make an idol of Jesus. Think about Jesus all day. Want to be like Jesus all day. When I was a, a younger man in my teens, there was this commercial and you wanted to be like Michael Jordan, right? There was this song, you know, I, I'm trying to remember how it went. If I could move 
If I could groove, I want to be like Mike. If I could be like Mike, and they would show Jordan smiling and all that, that big old teeth smile he's got, right? Uh, you know, just, you know, just, just full of joy. And, you know, he'd be lifting his arms like this. And, you know, you know, he's the greatest, right? The greatest basketball player ever. And uh, if I could be like Mike, I think, I think it was if I could move, if I could groove, I want to be like Mike. Well, you don't want to be like Mike, all right? I don't know him. Um, I hope he's a, a solid Christian man giving his life to Jesus Christ, Michael Jordan, and, and everyone else in the world. Every human being owes worship to Jesus. But you and I need to do that same thing. We need to say, if I could move, if I could groove, I want to be like Jesus. If I could be like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. That needs to be the, the song of our heart. If I could move, if I could groove like Jesus. I, just, I mean, I used to groove to that song. I didn't, you know, I wasn't a, a great basketball player. I mean, I, I have a few moves, don't, don't get me wrong. But, you know, um, you know, it was just, I just liked the whole tune of it, right? But we want to be like Jesus. If I could be like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. That needs to be the, the cry of our heart. Jesus gave his life for us. No human beings have given their life for us. Many human beings have died. Men went to war and gave their lives for, for the cause of freedom. But they didn't redeem us. It's only when our God became a man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God the Son became a man, that we were given life, spiritual life, our King. Kings, people go and give their lives for kings, right? Our king gave his life for us. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world. Hold up. Wait a minute. For judgment I have come into this world. Didn't that, didn't that John 3, 16 say, for God so loved the world? I don't know. Why is he talking like this? I don't like that. What's he saying for judgment? I came into this world, Scott. I mean, God is love. He is love. And certainly God loves you. But in all his love for you, if you don't have Jesus Christ, then the wrath of God will remain on you and you will spend eternity in hell separated from him. For judgment, verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world. Heavy statement. What does judgment mean? So that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So that the blind will see. Jesus came into this world so that the blind will see. Do you, do you perceive and understand your spiritual blindness today? Because it's not until you understand that you are blind. You know nothing of God at all. You're hopeless, helpless, desperate. You're in complete darkness. You can't see or, un or understand anything. And only Christ is your hope. And if you'll give your life to Christ, the judgment that you deserved, and I deserved, which was to be separated from God and spend eternity in hell, will be taken by Jesus at the cross for judgment. I have come into this world so that the blind will see. 
Have you recognized your spiritual blindness and given your life to Jesus Christ? Again, if you're not sure, back up the tape and, and, and listen to how we talked about on, on how you go about that and what that means. To come to a place where you believe the word of God, that you are blind and you are a sinner and Jesus is your only hope. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see. It's not until we understand our spiritual blindness, our spiritual bankruptcy, that we'll have eternal life and come into spiritual life and see the truth that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life of John, as John 14, 6 says. Actually, what, five more chapters from here. For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. If you proclaim today, if you if you if out of your mouth you believe to have knowledge of God, or for the, the absurd ones to, to have knowledge that there is no God, if these are your claims, then you are indeed blind. And you're in your sin. And if you don't repent of that, the scripture is clear, as is Jesus, that only hell awaits separated from the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For judgment I have come into this world. Jesus Christ is the judge. Have you recognized your blindness and given your life to him or are you still blind but you claim to see? If you're in Hinduism, you're claiming to see. But according to Jesus, you're blind. If you're in Buddhism, you're claiming to see. But according to Jesus, you're blind. If you're in Islam, you're claiming to see. But according to Jesus, you're blind. You cannot see anything. If you're in agnosticism or atheism, you claim that you see something about God. But you're blind. And if you're in that place today or any other ism or any other philosophy or or denominate or uh any other philosophy or just belief system. If you're in a, a new age system today, and you claim you can see some truths about God or the universe, then you're against Jesus because Jesus made it clear you cannot see anything without him. And it's not until you acknowledge that blindness, you're in utter darkness, that in that place you can receive him and receive spiritual eyes and come into relationship with God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. Verse 40, the, the religious leaders don't like this. If you're in Judaism today, if you're Jewish today, if you're a Hebrew today, and you claim you can see and understand God, but you haven't received Jesus, then you are blind. You're the chosen of God, but you're chosen first to receive Jesus Christ. The scripture says that Jesus gave his life first for the Jewish people and then for everyone else, the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentiles. And here are the leaders of the Jews. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, verse 41, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. If you had come to me, Jesus said, if you had given your life to me, 
if you had confessed your spiritual blindness and your hopelessness and your desperate helplessness, then you'd have been forgiven of your sin and received your spiritual eyes in and through Jesus Christ by trusting what he's done for you on the cross and relying on him and clinging to him as your only Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And that ends the chapter. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. If you're claiming that you see or understand anything about God today, and you are not a Christian genuinely trusting and relying in Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior, your guilt remains. Your sin remains. You remain separated from the triune God because of your sin, Isaiah 59. If you claim you can understand God, see God, know anything of God in any manner, in any way, in any religion, that's not Jesus Christ our Lord, then sadly your guilt remains. And if you die in that state, the Bible is clear that only eternity in hell separated from God remains. I understand that's harsh, but it's, it's the greatest love we can give by telling you that. The, the, the most loving thing we can do is tell you the truth. That's why Jesus came and was tortured on the cross for you and for me. And when we say, we don't need you, Jesus, nope, don't need you. We're going to believe whatever comes into our mind or whatever people say. These are the words of God. The Bible is the word of God. These are the words of God, the son, Jesus Christ. So in love, we plead, we beg, give your life to Jesus Christ today. I beg you, give your life to Jesus Christ. Confess your blindness your complete need of him, and run to the cross and give your life to Jesus, clinging to him, trusting him, receiving him, calling on him to be the Lord of your life, knowing your desperate, hopeless, helplessness without him. Lord Jesus, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. Lord, we ask you to, to help every one of us, everyone in the world, to come to a place where we see our spiritual blindness beginning at salvation and then every day, Lord, just to have an attitude, Lord, that we want to see you and to turn away from the things of the world and the foolishness that we hear that just overwhelms us every day. Lord, let this be a principle, giving our lives to Christ and as well as in living our lives for Christ, that it's only in Jesus and in his word, in the word of God, that we can see anything or know anything or do anything. Father, we love you and we bless you and we thank you for your mercy on our lives. Holy Spirit, seal the message to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.